Well, good morning. Good morning. Welcome to Kesed. I'm so glad you guys are here. Uh, if you're brand new, thanks for trying out church. This is, uh, this is what it's like so far. It's not so bad. Uh, my name is Danny. I'm going to be sharing with you today. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm just really thankful that, that you're here. So I appreciate it, especially if you are watching online. It's exciting to have you. Uh, for the rest of you, Thanks for showing up. Uh, we are in a series right now called What Can I Bring? It's a series on generosity. A lot of people were worried that uh, we all of a sudden we're going to do an entire eight-week holiday series on money, and I just want you to know that that's not true, so just relax. It's going to be fine. We're just talking about generosity as an overall principle. We will talk about money inside it. It's an important part of being generous, of course, but uh, that's, uh, that's not what the series is about, nor is that what we're going to talk about today. Uh, last week, uh, Pastor Joe just did an amazing job uh, introducing us as a church to uh, what he called a scarcity mindset, and this idea that uh, there is a fear, as, especially as you spend a lot of time with, uh, with, with God, with the Bible, and you don't really understand the whole generosity concept, that God is this loving God, but maybe there's not enough of him to go around. There's not enough blessing. There's not enough goodness. And so we don't live generous because we hoard everything that God gives us, because like, like, like here, there's only a finite amount of, of resources, but with God, there are so many more. This is also teaching us that once we understand that God is not withholding things from us, we too can be generous. And so uh, what I want to do is I want to pick up right where Joe left us, and I want to take you on a, a little bit of a journey that, that, uh, that I think will bless you because it really will apply to every area of your spiritual life, it just, it just is really well encapsulated inside the topic of generosity. So I want you to imagine that you've decided to, uh, to not argue with this idea that you are supposed to be a generous person, that that's supposed to be a, a, a kind of a hallmark of your lifestyle. You've decided, okay, I'm going to do that. I'm not going to live with a scarcity mindset, and I'm going to embrace this philosophy. I'm going to set down the scarcity mindset, and instead, I'm going to pick up and walk out my generous living. So you pack your bags, you turn off the lights, you shut the door, and you head out for this journey. Now, this you might think is like, oh, fun, and maybe a little bit creative and an easy way to understand things, but it's actually a very real way that the Bible teaches all of us that we are constantly transforming, following Jesus where he's leading, that Jesus doesn't just like move into your house and just live there and hope to make your lifestyle better. Most of the time, he's like, it's time to leave the house. And that's why following Jesus can be difficult because you leave what's comfortable. You leave often your habits and your rhythms and suddenly you follow Jesus out into the unknown and you experience a life that, that maybe you didn't plan on having, but that he promises will be so much more fulfilling than just sitting home and watching spiritual TV night after night after night. Yeah? Yeah, I got some of you right there. The rest, you weren't with me till then. You were like, yeah, this is good for my friend. And then you're like, oh, mm, yep, that's me. Okay, good. So you decide to do it. You decide to walk out this journey and boldly proclaim to anyone who will listen, there is a God who generously loves me. I will go where he bids me to go and be who he bids me to be. Now, imagining it like a trail to be followed, this path that Jesus is leading us down, I want to talk with you today about what you will most likely encounter around the very first bend. I mean, you're, I'm talking like, like, you know, 300, 500 yards out. Like the very first bend following Jesus, you are going to encounter a traveling partner. Now, 
If you're a church traditionalist, you're going to think right away it's the Holy Spirit. You're going to be like, I love this. The Holy Spirit's going to show up. He's going to guide me. He's going to walk with me. He's going to whistle fun tunes. He's going to help me avoid difficult situations. And we're going to camp together every night and eat fish and bread. Nope, that's not who we're here to talk about. Because first, the Holy Spirit is what prompted you to go on the journey in the first place. The Holy Spirit is who invited you to take a seat at the table as Joe Joe talked about last week. And yes, of course, the Holy Spirit is going with you on the journey. You can't leave God's presence. Psalm 139.1 says, where shall I go from your spirit or where shall I flee from your presence? But the Holy Spirit is not someone who just goes with you wherever you are in spite of, you know, what it is you're doing. The Holy Spirit is someone you must often seek out. And that's why you're being prompted to leave. First Chronicles 16, 11, seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence continually. Jeremiah 29, 13, you will seek me and find, you, find me when you seek me with all your heart. Now, of course, we know that God is wherever we are, but that's not the traveling partner I want to talk about. I don't want to talk about the one that you have to diligently sit with and listen to. My mom used to constantly speak over my life. I've shared this many times, Psalm 46, 10. Be still and know that I am God. But she used to, and I don't think this is appropriate uh, Bible, by the way, which we should, we should confront her about. I don't think she's here today, so I'm just going to be passionate and big. And then when she shows up, I'll just become, you know, more respectful. But she used to quote this, be still and know that I am God. I'll never forget. She grabbed my cheeks one time, and I was trying to do like a mini preach on all the different reasons why she should give me the thing I wanted. And all of a sudden, she just says, Danny, be still and know that I am mom. <laughs> it broke me. Stillness is still very difficult for me. So yes, the Holy Spirit is where we are. And yes, the Holy Spirit has to be sought after. That's not the traveling partner I want to talk about. Instead, I want to talk with you about someone who the second you step out into your new life of generosity will immediately begin to seek you out in return. Someone who will come for you, usually while screaming his or her head off and fists raised, don't do it don't do it, don't do it. And that person is called throughout the Bible, the old man, or if you will, the old woman. Now you may be asking, what kind of creepy sermon is this? What is Danny teaching us here? You might even be imagining someone like this waiting for you down the trail. (laughs) I really wanted to have a couple of our church members do that, but I thought they would forever be marked as like the old man and the old woman. So I, I I just did that one. Instead, Let me talk to you about this old man. Ephesians 4, 22 through 24 says, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. This part of ourselves is who we will have to face around the first bend. I'm reading a book right now by the missionary, uh, the longtime uh, past missionary, Watchman Nee. He was a missionary to China who spent the last 20 years of his life in prison because of his faith. And he said this, sooner or later, a servant of God discovers that he himself is the greatest frustration to his work. Sooner or later, if you're going to follow down this path, if you're going to be like, I'm going to be a different person, what you're going to end up meeting is you coming the other way saying, don't do it. This life looks like it's just going to be filled with difficulties all ahead. We should turn around and go back. Translation of Watchman Nee's quote, you are your own worst bandit. 
No force will try to stop you any more than you. And that's why the Bible's constantly teaching about their, their inner, the inner work that we're supposed to do, the old man and the old woman, and how we're supposed to take them down and tear them off to become the new people we're supposed to be. I was journaling the other day, and I wrote this to myself. People too often focus all their spiritual training around facing outer darkness and demons far more than they battle the destructive desires of their own heart, brightly walking stride for stride into every room they enter. Then I wrote something else below it that was much more Danny and brutal, and I was like, I'm never, ever going to preach that, so I thought I'd read it to you now. I wrote, it's like practicing your spiritual sword drills to be ready for the battle ahead, all the while dismissing the ceaseless paper cutting that's bleeding you out by the gallons. This is a big part of what it means to be Christ followers. It means to follow him and recognize that the first person to show up and say, don't follow him, is going to always be me. I have been uh, what you might call ministry-minded for as long as I can remember. I, I preached my first weekend sermon at 15 years old in the church that I grew up in. Uh, I've been doing this vocationally. This is my 24th year vocationally. I love ministry. I'm made for ministry. I'm one of those strange people that when I go on vacation to another place, I'm always trying to get my wife to go to a church service. And my wife's like, but we're here to rest. And I'm like, that is how I rest. We don't do that, by the way, because she says that's also how we get divorced. So I was like, I'll stay in the room, and I'll just be with you, and I'll suffer like Watchman Nee. I'll just be in this room and waiting and not go to church and worship the Lord. Uh, I, was, I was kind of venting this to someone recently that, that even though I'm ministry-minded, I've got this place that Kesset has almost like this crossroads where we're having to decide as a church together, beyond my control, what to do with this trendy momentum that we've suddenly picked up on with this idea that we could probably roll this thing into something gigantic and we could probably brand it really well and we could make it really, really cool and we could get a bunch of people who just want to be a part of something cool in town, not a bunch of people who actually want to battle their old men and old women inside them. It would be really easy to do. I know how to do it. I've done it before at a previous church. And I'm at this place where I'm constantly even kind of doubting, like, what part of this is God, this growth, and what part is me, and cleverness, or leadership, and what, where do I end, and God picks up, and so forth. And I was just sort of spinning in all this, and Chandra uh, sort of said, hey, hold on a second, what, what's going on? Like, why do you continue to bring us back to this place? What do you think God is trying to do during this season? And without even thinking, I responded, I think God is trying to kill me. And she just kind of looked at me and created some space. And I thought, I, I, I think God is trying to kill me. And I wrote it down and I sat in it. And then I suddenly realized in a very real way, it's true. You see, God knows who's out on that trail waiting to pounce. The old me, full of my darkness, my desires, and my demands. So when my old me finds me, you know what I do? The same thing we all do. I spin around and try to run backwards. And it's easy. It's not that difficult to run from the old you or the old me because I know what I sound like when I'm after something I want. I recognize those footsteps long before they turn the corner. I know exactly the ways that I quietly cope, the ways that I hide in the bushes and wait. So the first time I hear myself in the night, I'm like, nope, not doing this fight. The old me shows up. But remember, it's a trail with only two directions, where God's calling me 
and where God isn't. And that means the only place I can run when I confront the old me is back where I came from, back to scarcity and hoarding and greed and selfish living and control. The Bible is full of people who have ran, people much more spiritually profound than me, people like Jonah. You know how legit Jonah was in the region? He wasn't just an average everyday prophet. Like he did powerful things, said powerful things, believed in God with every ounce of his person. What he didn't like was the way that God allowed people to face their old selves. So God says, you're gonna go to Nineveh. And he goes, what? And use these incredible gifts of mine to help these people turn back to you by recognizing their sin? I don't think so. God says, get on a boat. He goes, I'll get on a boat. Goes the opposite direction. He, he acts but not in the direction God wants. What about Moses? He lives 80 years of his life, humble, quiet, not looking for drama. God shows up and he's like, guess what? We're doing some drama. Moses is like, I don't want to. God's like, it's not really about what you want. You've ran out into this desert place for all this time and now it's time to use these things that you have learned to confront the old you, to walk back into Egypt, the place you were raised. God is constantly calling people. What about Peter? We talked about Peter just a few weeks ago and how God called him back from the fishing boat time after time after time, back from the old him to become the one that he was supposed to want. But see, when we run and when we avoid the battle that we're supposed to have with our old selves, we run back to where we came from, and that's the first place that God often reminds us to leave. And yet it seems like it's always right about there as we start to turn around hearing the footsteps of our old selves that God acts in a really, really practical and powerful way. That's what I believe is happening in our church right now that we aren't just talking about high and lofty spiritual things, we are actually be, being given tactics for how God wants to build our community here right now. We've been talking about curiosity and the fact that we're never, ever, ever gonna cease being cured. Did you know the root word of curiosity is to cure? We're never gonna cease being curious here, ever. We're gonna always be, be open-handed and asking God, where is it you want us to go and how is it you want us to get there? This is what God wants from us. And the tension it brings, by the way, do you know how many people have left this church and then came back? Like, I wouldn't ask anybody to raise their hands right now because it would be awkward, but there's a whole lot of people in our church that are like, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm back. <laughs> and what's so uncomfortable about it is they know it's safe for them to do so because the tension they feel is something we call out and recognize and allow because I believe it's riddled inside the scripture where God's like, do this. And the human is like, I don't want to. And God's like, mm-hmm. And the human's like, mm-hmm. And God's like, I have a feeling I'm going to be able, be able to outweigh you. But all of our old selves are like, we'll see about that. This is the space God's calling us into next, the space of generosity. So I want to give you a story that you can study this week because you'll probably pull some stuff from it that I miss, I'm sure. If you have a Bible, you can turn there. It's in 1 Kings chapter 17. This is a practical, step-by-step -step example of how I believe God calls us to face our old selves and reveals more and more and more of his love and his presence. 
First Kings chapter 17, verse 1 starts off with another legit prophet. This is the story of Elijah. This is actually a section of Elijah's story I've never preached before, but it hit me in the journey that I'm on right now, and I, I think it will bless you as well. It says that Elijah is doing some legit stuff. God has called him to be powerful. God has called him to be anointed. God has called him to be a, a very close follower of who God is and his presence, and he's called him to be a voice to his generation around what it is they need to do. And so the first thing that happens in Elijah's story is he is set against a man who is of renowned disobedience and a man of renowned power, and his name is Ahab. And this is a king. This is a powerful, powerful king, and he is more disobedient, Scripture says, than all of his disobedient fathers before him. And so you have this squaring off of kind of somebody who maybe represents the old man, we might think at first, and Elijah who represents the new man. And so God says, hey, we're going to deal with this old man, and there's going to be some consequences for the behaviors that he has. And Elijah is called to confront him and to bring about this change and this consequence. So verse 1 says, Now Elijah the Tishbite of Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. So Elijah shows up in the throne room of this disobedient king and he says, here's what's going to happen. There's going to be some discipline upon the nation who has followed your practices and the rain's going to stop. And, it, and be, be, listen very carefully that it doesn't say it's going to stop when God says it comes back. It's going to stop when Elijah says it comes back. That's some legit anointing right there. I mean, you could brand and market that stuff awesome. Like it's when I say the rain comes back that the rain comes back. And it's when I say that the rain stops that the rain stops. And we recognize all that power is from God, but this is how God wanted to set it up. And so Elijah goes and does this, and guess what? The rain stops. So Elijah's in the midst of this famine as well. And he's walking around living his life, and God shows up. First Kings, verse 2, same chapter. And the word of the Lord came to him. To Elijah and said, depart from here and turn eastward and hide yourself by the, by the brook Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. You shall drink from the brook and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. Look at God's clear direction. Go to this safe place I have provided for you. Go to this place where you will escape the consequences of everybody else's disobedience and embark down the trail that I have set for you and be provided for all is well, just him and God. How epic is that? How many people, don't raise your hands, but have experienced this kind of covering uh, of God? I have experienced at points in my life this kind of covering of God, where God is like, I want you to leave this place, leave this organization, even leave this church before anything else explodes, and I'm gonna set you over here, and you're gonna avoid the consequences of this disobedience, and I'm gonna provide for you by this brook, and it's gonna be amazing. And so Elijah does that, and he goes to the brook, just like you and I have followed the Lord out into the spaces he's called us to. And we sit and we think and we church plant and we live and all is well. Just God and me. Just Elijah and God. Well, except for Elijah's old man also showed up. Just like Danny's old man continues to show up. Something to know about this brook that's really important for you as you study the passage is to realize the kind of the meaning inside its name. The name Cherith comes from the ancient Hebrew root word meaning to cut away, to cut up, or off. Mm. 
This shows that God has some cutting to do in the life of Elijah, the great obeyer, the one who provides the, the, the voice of the Lord to those who listen. God has some cutting to do in this man's life. And so it sets a posture for the rest of the story that causes us to say to ourselves, we must not be surprised then if sometimes God says to you, hide yourself in the cherith of disappointed hopes or in the cherith of bereavement or in the cherith of sorrow. Sometimes God hides you away from other consequences so he can just get you all to himself. Just you and your old man. The first thing you need to know about how this old man started to be cut away from Elijah is hidden inside the phrase, I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. There's an emphasis on the word there. God promised that the ravens would feed Elijah as he stayed at Cherith, at the place of cutting. God promises that he will provide for him. Now, of course, theoretically, the ravens could feed him anywhere. And God commanded it. But he says the ravens will happen at the brook. Even though Elijah perhaps wanted to go on and do other things, to preach, to build, to experience, yet it says, no, God called him to be there. And he would provide for him there. So he had to go to this place and wait upon the Lord. Verse five, so he went and did according to the word of the Lord. He went and lived by the brook Cherith that is east of the Jordans. Verse six, and the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. Now you might read this and think, that's an unbelievable, like, can you imagine just sleeping next to the brook and just like spending time and all of a sudden you wake up and there's a bird next to you with a croissant, right? You're just like, oh, unbelievable. We read stories like this all the time, and we, we kind of fairy tale them, and we don't realize what is actually happening here. Elijah is stuck where God put him, the only place he's going to provide for him, next to this river, and God is starting to cut away some stuff. And the first thing God is starting to cut away is Elijah's definition of what is, what is good and what is bad. He's starting to prepare Elijah for something that's coming next. And what you and I need to realize is that these ravens were famously known throughout the nation of Israel as one of the most unclean animals you could ever touch. Charles Spurgeon drew two points of application from this event, likening the food the ravens brought to spiritual food. He recognized that God may bring a good word to us through an unclean vessel, spiritually unclean like a raven, meaning that no one can bring spiritual food to others and still be unclean spiritually themselves. He recognizes that this, this space is a beautiful destructive space around his entire worldview. This would be like if the Lord told me, here's what I want to do, Danny. I want to take you to a special place and I'm going to give you a whole new vision for Kesson. And that place is out in the middle of nowhere next to this, this brook that, 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 that you will only see me and my presence there. And every single morning, there's going to be a large garbage truck that shows up and just dumps a giant pile of trash for you to pick through and provide sustenance from. You'd be like, thank you, Lord. You love me so much. This is what L. Spurgeon said. I'll put this on the screen. But see this. But see too how possible it is for us to carry bread and meat to God's servants and do some good things for his church and yet be ravens still. He recognizes that when you suddenly realize that God's word can come to you through just about anything, you also realize that God's word can use you even though you're really not that special. 
even though your old man might be overcoming you more than you realize. Listen very carefully. You and I can get miles and miles from our old man or woman. We can follow all the rules, obey all the laws, even possess all the gifts of the Spirit. We can understand every single nuance of the verses. We can even be ministry-minded and preach incredible messages just like this one. Even to the point of being the voice of God to stop the rain. But as long as your old self lives, the new you cannot be born. And God is showing Elijah this, just like he's showing us. Jesus says this when he says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Notice he doesn't say, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one preaches amazing sermons, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless someone writes big checks, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless someone is in Bible study every single week, never misses churches and brings all their friends to Jesus, you cannot see the kingdom of God. That's not what he says. He says, truly, truly, I say to you twice, truly, unless you are born again, meaning unless your old man or old woman dies, you cannot see the kingdom of God. This is where God does with Elijah the same thing he has done with every believer from then until now. God invites Elijah to rely on his generosity alone. Elijah's at the brook. He notices the rain has stopped, so clearly God is with him and his authority is being honored because it's gone throughout the nation that Elijah has stopped the rain. And suddenly the rain stops and the dirty birds show up bringing nasty meat, bread. Elijah's living off that and comes out one morning and he notices, hmm, this brook is flowing a little slower than I remember yesterday. And the next morning he wakes up and it's gone down a little more. And the next morning he wakes up and it's gone down a little more until all of a sudden the brook is nothing but a trickle. And God hasn't told him he can leave there. So he's just sitting here being affected by all the same consequences as everybody else. And yet God has said, be there. Verse 7, and after a while the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. After the brook dries up. The word of the Lord came to him, arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. I don't understand this part of the passage. It took me about two days to, to unravel some of this. If God called me to a place to provide for me, why then would he dry up the place that was br bringing the provision? Why wouldn't it just, like, just my little hundred yards of the brook just, just kind of magically keep flowing? Why, why is the brook that God brought me to leaving me. Elijah would have saw this. He would have seen his provision leaving day by day by day. And people in this room, you experience this same invitation to rely on God's generosity alone, the same that I do, because we all know how hard it is to sit beside a drying brook of provision. The drying brook of health, seeking under a creeping paralysis or a slow consumption, the drying brook of money slowly dwindling before the demands of sickness, debt, and other people's extravagance, or maybe the drying brook of friendship for which you have recognized as long diminishing and threatened soon to cease. Sometimes, sometimes, God lets them dry so that we can remember who generously holds the rain. It's not me, folks, and it's certainly not you. And it's definitely not Elijah. God is the only one who holds the power to keep the rain. And so in this space, what God does 
he begins to drain Elijah's old man. He begins to remind him, you who are the voice of the Lord, you who are the hands and feet of Jesus, that ultimately it's always going to be about God. And notice that Elijah passes this test beautifully. It says there was no rain in the land. Even though this was the drought Elijah prayed for, he did not pray for rain to come again, even for his own survival. He kept the purpose of God first, even when it adversely affected him. This is how we know that Elijah's old man was near dead. Because at any moment, as the last puddle became nothing but mud and sand, he could have said, all right, Lord, enough's enough. Bring the rain. But he didn't. He waited until God asked him to leave that place he was in. And so God became the ultimate partner he needed. This is the only way any of us can be ready for the next part of our journey. We have to stay in the places God has called us to stay. We have to be there even though the resources appear to be drying up. We have to recognize that it is God who provides all for us, his love, his presence, and everything else we need. And we are to remain next to those places of Cherith until the Lord frees us to go on to the next. There's a very old story, a small story about a, a little boy who read this story. And I'll read this to you. It says, a little boy having read this incident with his widowed mother, one wintry night as they sat in a fireless room beside a bare table, asked her if he might set the door open for God's ravens to come in. He was so sure that they must be on their way. The mayor of that German town passing by was attracted by the sight of the open door and entered inquiring the cause. When he learnt the reason, he said, I will be God's raven and relieve their need then and afterwards. So here's my two closing questions for you. These are the questions that are, are being asked of me, and so it's only fair that you should suffer under them as well. First, whose raven are you supposed to be? Who are you supposed to be generously helping? And see, it's beautiful when you recognize that you're a raven because most of the time we don't help people because we feel like we're too unclean. Like we've made so many mistakes, so we're not going to go spend time with this person and listen to their struggle. We're not going to go spend time in this situation and, 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 and bear any of their burden. Instead, we try to send other people. But what if God is calling you to be the raven? What if God is calling you to sit in this space in someone's life and provide? The next question is this. What ravens of God are trying to reach you, but you won't stay near the drying brook to receive them? You keep leaving there, moving on to the next place, really seeking more provision and more profit and more water. You keep moving on to the next place and the next place and the next place. And God's like, what are you doing? I'm trying to spend time with you and I'm trying to shrink down this old man of yours, but you keep helping him pack bags and get out of the way before the brook dries up and I can reveal to you my presence. Where and how are you going to experience this God and who he is? If you keep leaving the cherith of your own consequences. And they may be just the consequences of obedience, the consequences of being where God has called you to be. I'll give you two examples. I'm gonna give you two examples, very personal so far just for this service. 
Pastor Tom, right? Pastor Tom runs all of our business stuff. He, he does everything that behind the scenes to make sure that our church seems healthy. I don't know if you know this or not, but Kesed is very much a cherith for Pastor Tom. He should be at a big fancy church doing big fancy stuff with like, you know, pastors who matter. He should be like, he should be using his skills to do all kinds of these powerful things that God has gifted him to. But instead God's like, nope, Tom, you're gonna be with Danny, the cherith of Danny. And you're gonna listen to Danny talk about how important it is to have mountain walls and accents and make sure that God's temple feels homey. And Tom's gonna be like, uh, I feel like it's more important to just pay the bills. And I'm like, God will show up if we have blue light up mountains that change colors. <laughs> because of the artist in me and who I am, these are the things. But this is a space for Tom that he doesn't fit. And that's exactly why he's supposed to be here. Think about Chandra. I don't know if you guys know this or not, but Chandra is a bit more charismatic than I am. Someone said recently of her, I wonder if she'll ever release the Kraken spiritually. And I'm like, what is that? Right, just relax. And they were like, well, you know, Chandra has like another level, right? Like spiritually. And I'm like, whoa, whoa. And finally I told them, hey, listen, I know she doesn't fit here. I get it. This is a cherith for her. She comes in and she brings the gifts she has and she brings the anointing she has. I could go on and on and on. Alyssa, who does my programming and assisting, way smarter than I am, could have a much better job than helping me keep my mess together. I could go on and on and on and on and on about all sorts of people, not just on staff, but volunteers who are like, I'm not sure really what I'm doing here. And I'll say it all the time because I wanna make sure people choose to stay at the brook. I say it all the time, if this isn't a church that fits you, go find the church you're supposed to be in. Go find the church that is the cherith for you, where you can sit and you can be confronted and you can be challenged. And people are like, ah, I think it's this one. And I'm like, sorry. This place is supposed to be full of people that don't fit together. So when you see people come in and you're looking around like, they don't seem like they belong and they don't seem like they belong. I just want you to know, that's what I believe God is building at Kesed. It is a cherith for a bunch of people to show up and listen and follow and be convicted and serve. I've got a board of elders that are all highly, highly skilled. This is a cherith for them. They could be doing so much more powerful stuff than this. Sometimes I think my wife and uh, our marriage is a cherith for her. She's just like, I feel like I could have done better, but this is where God's got me. <laughs> Everybody's like, amen. Amen. This may, the marriage makes sense now. I understand. I was confused for a while. I just feel like there's something really beautiful about being honest about the fact that, that I often want to escape the places God has called me because they're so uncomfortable when he starts pointing out all the things in Danny's life that he's going to tear away, that he's going to cut off, that he's going to cherish. And yet I believe the only reason I have survived in my marriage this long, in ministry this long, and in this world, frankly, this long, is because I am just stubborn as heck. And I stay at that water. And I'm, I mean, I am there till the very last drop. And I'll sometimes try to get a couple feet away. But time and time again, I have learned to be obedient and to suffer well. And so if being at Kesed feels like suffering for you, welcome. 
Sometimes following Jesus feels that way. But I also believe there's going to be an incredible, incredible outcome when God releases the rain. Uh, This is not going to happen at 11 o'clock, so do not tell them that this was an emotional service. I just think he wants to release the rain. I think he wants to release the, the, the prayer lives and the the gifts and the finances and the resources and the leadership and the serving. I just think he wants to release it all, but it's got to be with people who are willing to recognize that he is the bringer of all those things and people who are willing to be obedient and stay in the chair if they are at and not leave early because those are the people that go and get credit for what God does. And then people see them as a work of God and then they fall and then they disappoint and then people go, I knew God wasn't real. We have to stay in this place. We have to be scrappy and resilient and stubborn and authentic and messy and real and feel like we don't fit. Those are all the qualities and characteristics of a solid Kesed member. (laughs) Or whatever church you end up going to. We have an amazing God who is building an amazing story. And I so hope that you understand the generous love that he is pouring into your life right inside the situation, you know right now that he wants to release the rain of his presence over you. But you've got to stay all the way through. You have to trust. And I think that that's a little bit easier, just a little bit, when you're in a group of people who are willing to do it. And that's the beauty of the space that he's creating here. I love this church. I love you. Again, do not share that this got emotional to the 11 o'clock because I'm going to be way more energy and a lot funnier and we're going to avoid all the tears. Thank you for being part of our church family and part of our story. Amen? Amen. Will you stand? We'll close in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, I think a lot of people in here are... uh, had some bags packed and were ready to leave the Cherith that you have called them to. And I'm hoping today, God, they spend the afternoon really allowing um, whatever it is you're calling them to do uh, to, to sink in. I pray like, I feel like, God, there's a lot of people as I'm praying that uh, they know, they, they finally know that they're where they're supposed to be, that you are providing. There's also a lot of people in this room who know that they're supposed to be provision through you for someone. They're supposed to help. They're supposed to give. They're supposed to serve. Even though they have some, uh, some old man cutting, some unclean cleaning they need to face. Thank you for being a church full of people who are willing to just sit in it together. We praise you, Lord. We pray for your comfort as we reflect upon today's words and we lift them all up to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Thanks so much for coming.